What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 7 to 14, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 17th year of marriage. So yeah, I am in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood. I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fatherhood matters. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace the fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is Jeff Duden. This guy is the quiet neighbor who is humbly building legacy that will impact the world in significant ways. Jeff is an author, a powerful business builder, a husband celebrating their 25th year of marriage, and an incredible father. We dig into the good stuff here. You will walk away with nuggets to make you a more intentional father. Enjoy, and if you like it, please take a moment to share it and review it. All right, welcome to another episode of Fatherhood Field Notes. I'm really excited to be talking to Jeff Duden today. How are you doing, Jeff? Fantastic, Ned. Thank you. Oh, man, I'm really excited to talk fatherhood with you. Um, just Clarence had introduced us. Clarence is just such an incredible guy. Uh, he's been a, a, a great mentor and friend to me the last uh, few years. And so he's the one who connected us. I asked him, hey, do you know any great dads? And uh, you're the first name that came up. Awesome. Uh, Clarence is an inspiration and I've enjoyed getting to know him and I'm honored that he would get me on your show today. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool when, you know, we're all doing life and there's so many things that we attach to our identity. But when somebody says, hey, this guy's a great father, I, I feel like, man, what better compliment could you really get than that? You know, it's pretty huge. It is. Uh, one of the questions I often ask people when they ask for coaching, I'll say, what are your three greatest, what are your three most important roles in life? And I always start with um, uh, husband, father, and coach. And mm. father's always in there. I, I put the husband thing first just to keep peace around the house. But, you know, father's a, a close second. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, fatherhood is definitely my hook in what I talk about. But really at my core, I think that to be a great father, I mean, one of the key things is to show your children how to love through chaos of marriage. <laughs> you know, uh, it's 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 important. So I do think the husband comes first. Uh, agreed. Yeah. Well, I'm going to blast you with a couple quick questions. Um, and uh, just as we get into conversation, so people know who I'm talking to right now. So where do you live? What state do you live in? I live in North Carolina in Huntersville. Well, actually, we just moved to Cornelius uh, to Lake Norman area. Okay. Okay, cool. And you're married. How many years have you been married? We were married in, oh, I didn't know there was going to be math, Ned, but 1996. So that would be, we just had our, our um, no, 1995. We just had our 25th. Man, that is so incredible. What a good uh, accomplishment. I mean, 25 years, that's a, that's a serious accomplishment. It, it, you know, the phases that you go through in that relationship as you grow. I met my wife when she was 18 years old and I was 20. So you're not fully formed in you're, 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 you're buying what you see at the time. 
And it's hard to predict uh, how the growth is going to happen, but constantly renegotiating as you grow and, and yeah. is, is, a, is a challenge and, and a blessing. Yeah. And how, and how, how many kids do you guys have? We have three. We have a 22-year-old son named Zach. We have a 19-year-old daughter named Maylee, and we have a 16-year-old son named Jackson. Okay. So now you're in this phase where your kids are at the age that you started your life getting married. So what's your uh, philosophy slash what are you telling them when they, if, you know, if they are not serious with a boyfriend, girlfriend, when you, you know, got, or you met your, your spouse at, at uh, 20 years old. So how old were you when you got married? So I would have been 27. So we, okay. We, you dated for a while then. We did. Okay. Okay. So same, same kind of, uh, what you're giving your kids wisdom on is, is, uh, wait till you're maybe past 25 or what? Uh, you know, they haven't asked, interestingly enough. They're, my older two are both in long-term committed relationships. We really like the, the partners there. So, but we haven't, uh, I've wondered, uh, especially with the yeah. older one, uh, how that's going to shake out. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that it, that it works out for them, but I haven't really applied any pressure now. Uh, whether what Tracy has done when I'm not around, I'm not sure, but I don't, I don't think we, we've tried not to really meddle that much in their relationship. Right. Right. Yeah. Tough. That's good though. Okay. So that, even that comment right there, that's, that's good, right? Is you, you want to let them eventually start to kind of live and then come to you when they have questions. Um, okay. And then tell us what you do for a living and yeah, tell us what you do for a living. I'm a franchise executive and business builder and investors. What I do today is, so So my my history is I built a, a franchise brand over 25 years mm-hmm. and raised, raised my family while I was building the business. And there was some incredible uh, synergies between the two. And uh, the coaching that you do to a franchise owner was not dissimilar in structure to the coaching that I did for my children and my children's sports teams and things like that. So I, I invested uh, being a business owner and an entrepreneur and our platform is encouraging entrepreneurs today. Uh, being an entrepreneur, I was able to make choices to be at the school or to go to the play or go to the event or go on the field trip. I just had to get up at three or four in the morning and get my work done. Uh, I was going to say that. Yep. But I had choice. Uh, So, so today, uh, so we built a business called Advanta Clean and we were in 230 locations in 37 States. We end up selling that business. And today I'm, I'm back in uh, investing in a couple of franchise brands, a fitness brand called Rockbox Fitness. I have a robotic mowing concept called Mobot, which is cool. Mo- yeah, robots cutting grass. That's that's really cool. Look out for that one. It's going to be big. Yeah. And then we we do some work on the service side, uh, a franchise sales organization. But everything that I do is in and around franchising, whether it be helping uh, consult with emerging brands or helping them award and find great franchisees or are actually growing brands. Yeah. Wow. Sounds fun. It Sounds is like fun. A good, good spot to be. Yeah. I watched you in preparation for this. You were on Undercover Boss, right? So, and everybody probably brings it up. So I'll, I won't bring it up too much, but uh, it was really fun to watch. And man, at the, those enders just get me all teared up. You know, it's like seeing that it was a, uh, 
it was incredible, you know. So if you're if you want to get to know Jeff a little bit better, uh, go check out on Advanta Clean. They have the 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 link to the full episode where you could watch Undercover Boss season eight. It is, and and I have a heart for people, and I cry really mm-hmm. easy. And the end of it, <laughs> me, it was it was torturous. But you're, you, but you have a you have to remember you have a job to do, and you have to go through and talk to the people and pull stuff out of them. And what looks like two or three minutes on the show might have been thirty or forty five minutes in reality. So right, you have to do that. What was interesting about the show, as it relates to this show we're doing here, uh, was we have a set of family values that we subscribe to and that have been up on the refrigerator for years and years and years. They're actually in my book, Discernment, which just came out. Oh, cool. And uh, one of so we we sat down when we were presented with the opportunity to do Undercover Boss. And, you know, we really it, it was we're very private people. Many people in our community had no idea what we did. Even we practiced football in the yard of our corporate building and people, many people didn't know I, I owned the place. And because we just, we, we just didn't. And the risk of doing a show like undercover boss was that it was going to change things for the kids in their schools and interesting the perception of it. So, so we had a family meeting and we all sat down and we talk through how we made this decision and because it was a, it was a family decision. And ultimately one of our values is trust yourself to take chances and fail fast and push forward is another value that we have. So uh, we looked at it and we said, well, we, we can't pass this opportunity up because that would be against our, our values. And so we, made the collective decision to go for it. And it ended up being a great show. It was an incredible platform to highlight the the incredible people of Clean. We had four good segments. We had to throw a segment away that didn't fit that uh, the producer said other shows would kill to have. So we, mm-hmm. we ended up with all good segments. Franchise owners really honoring the opportunities the customers gave them, treat, trying to do the right thing. Had some funny stuff that happened. We got exposed and busted a couple of times, and so it was. It was good. It was good, but it ended up being very positive uh, for us and and reflecting well on our family. So we're 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 glad we took the chance. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, so many thoughts. Yeah, I think incredible because when you're trying to live a private, uh, humble life, but also sharing the 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 characteristics that can inspire other people to to be good human beings, right? It's, it's, it's difficult to find the balance, but how cool to, to make that decision as a family to say, okay, there are certain times where you want to expose or use the opportunity of who we are to, to make an impact, right? Because you got other business owners and people who are watching that going, man, I want to run my company that way. I want to care like that about people. Um, Cause it's, it's easy as a business owner to get disconnected from the people. Uh, if you're to those who much is given, much is expected, and you, uh, you know, you we go we go around this life one time, and uh, half of life is just showing up. I mean, nothing yeah. hap- nothing happens until you show up. And opportunities, if there's not a good reason to say no, then maybe maybe the answer should be yes. That's awesome. All right, so I'm going to deviate from my notes a little bit. So. Um, we've had some core values as a family or family values, whatever, you know, standards. And we, we are making, we've had a 
huge transition in our life. So um, we just moved from one house to another and, and we're like, all right, kids, we're going to have some new standards. So last night we actually sat around and I asked a whole bunch of questions to the kid. I have five kids ages seven to 14. Okay. A whole bunch of questions around what are, what are the guy, who do we, who are we, who do we want to be kind of stuff? So we're going to make this updated, you know, family values list and get it printed and put up on the wall. So maybe just take a couple minutes and share how you came up with those for your family. Um, and obviously you use them to make decisions. What's interesting. And I say what I struggled with, it took me a long time to understand that you can't run your family like a business and you shouldn't run it like a business. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it can go sideways. And what's really interesting is that as the children have gotten older, they've done internships in the business. My, my oldest son graduated from Elon university with a degree in economics and finance. And he actually joined our company right out of school. And he, he did, nice. he did it before COVID. So he had other opportunities now, whether, <laughs> whether, whether they would have materialized or not, actually, but he, he made the decision and my brother and I uh, work together in our business now. And now we have Zach and, and he kind of does, looks at deals and does finance and stuff. That's fantastic. But, but what, but they, it, at his age and at my daughter's age interning, they were shocked at who I was at work versus who hmm. I was at home. And because I really didn't, I didn't, I never tried to run it. So we would try to have a family meeting and I would prepare and I would bring notes. And we used to go upstairs in our little loft area and we didn't have a big house. I mean, we, you know, we, 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 we built the house that we could afford when we were, when we were in our twenties and we lived in that same house for until four or five years ago, we remodeled it. Uh, we we're very close as a family. We didn't feel like we needed all this space to get away from one another. So we, you know, we just, we liked each other. We hung out and uh, we were fortunate to to have what we had. And, and so we'd go upstairs in this little loft area and we'd have these family meetings. And I try to, you know, they really didn't, they didn't land as well as I would have liked because they were kind of businessy. And, yeah. and so, but what I, but what I found is even when you don't think they're listening, they're listening because you would hear things. So it's almost like you, if you want to speak a powerful future into existence, you have to, you have, somebody has to make a bold declaration and you have to speak to it over and over and over again. So in the times that I'm not proud of where maybe I broke from an example that I would like to set for my kids, uh, you know, you try to limit those. And you try to look for opportunities, not to get consensus, but just to speak aloud about what, how you're thinking about these things. And you'd be surprised how much soaks into those little skulls yeah. over time. And so maybe we'd go on a vacation and I would always take the time, always, I would, I would oftentimes take the time to create a, a meeting outline that we would have. And, and it might, there might be an icebreaker or it might have a, a question of, you know, what do you think about this? And sometimes they'd play along and, and other times maybe one of the kids just wasn't, wasn't that into it. And I remember right. we, were, we were on a little cruise one time and we had a, something come up and for whatever reason, my daughter just was not into it. And, and she just like, she got very 
you know, just maybe my, maybe the older one was trying to dominate the, 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 you know, whatever, but, but ultimately in those times, one thing that we were always able to get out of it was what's important to us. Who are we not? What would not aspirationally, how would we, how do we think we should roll? How, yep. how, how do we roll? Right. Who are and, we not? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like your values need to come out of, of who you are, not necessarily who you wish you could be or who, if you could be like somebody else, who they are. Right. Who, what do the neighbors do? Let's be like the neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. So, and your, your, true, so, your values are really just your, your values are your must haves and what you absolutely won't tolerate. Those are your real mm-hmm. values. Like what you won't tolerate. Yep. Those are your values. So how would your family meeting be different than a meeting you'd have at the business? Like you said, your kids were shocked. So you'd still kind of come up with an outline and things like that, but was it just not as known to them? Like you were being more flexible mentally? It just, it, it, it would devolve into just some sort of a conversation and, and, and you would let it and Mm -hmm. you would try and, you know, you, you, you don't want your, I don't think you want your kids to feel managed. I always, I yep. always said like, I want to, I would, if, if I do my job, I'm going to teach you how to think, but maybe not what to think mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm observationally growing up when I saw parents that were too involved in trying to manage all of the decisions that were made by the child, I noticed that the kids rebelled a little bit more as opposed to them having some control or at least the mm-hmm. per- the perception that they had control over right. what was happening to them. So uh, I wouldn't, uh, these meetings would kind of devolve, but you know, they, they, they would get off to the right track. We'd, we'd talk about the things you'd hear things from them that you maybe didn't expect. There'd be some conversations about it. And then, then you'd kind of just go away. There's no meeting follow-ups or a brief or a paper coming out of it. Right. Right. But I could see some families doing that, but we just, we just didn't, we, we kind of got on, got on to having fun or whatever we were trying to do there. But I think, I think the concept of it was important because I see now that they've adopted, you know, because they saw that it was important to me and I took the time to prepare, I think they've adopted uh, you know, they're thinking around, you know, how do you prepare about things? How do you think about things? Yeah. And then how do you not take yourself too seriously? Right. And, and just having that conversation, right. I mean, last night I was laying on the floor while we were doing it, um, talking about the, the family values. And I was like, man, if somebody took a picture right now, they'd think, wow, what a perfect little family. But if they could have just seen 20 minutes before and then just 10 minutes after the the bickering, the fighting, the I mean, not nothing like out of control, but the reality of what five kids, yeah. you know, in the living room actually looks like. And it's like, those are kind of the reality of what I like to bring up too. Like you said, sometimes it wouldn't work out. Sometimes it'd fall apart sometimes. And I think sometimes dads will just give up like, Oh well, man, when Ned and Jeff talked about it, it's like, they just sat and talked family values for half hour with your, with your kids. It's not really how it always works out. Right. Uh-uh. It's not a business clocking at nine o'clock. It's done at nine 30. That's not how it, it works. It's that, like you said, that consistent talking about it, and they pick up way more than when they're laying on the couch and you think that they're not paying attention at all, they're hearing it. It's, so it's your consistency. So with that in mind, as a father, what do you think the role of the father is? 
giving freely of love and time. Uh, you know, love and love and time are the two most precious things we have in life. Hmm. And time is hard sometimes. And so if it's not going to be quantity, trying to make it quality. Yeah. And I think one thing I've fallen down on a good bit that I catch myself all the time is, is being home, but not being present. Mm, that's so tough it it is because you got this stuff going on in your head and you may or may not be interested in what the what's going on Uh, right so so trying to find things where you can you have mutual interests and 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 if not then it's your job to say to be interested anyway i think i learned that Mm. early early in in my life and uh, that's really good, you know. And then se- setting an example of behavior, providing some some thought leadership around teaching them how to think. I th- I think, you know, I I read, and you know, my children read, and I think reading is just critically important to your brain development, your mental acuity, your cognitive ability, your ability to make decisions. Your, I mean, the the ability if you can't get in a conversation with somebody to get inside somebody's head and to hear what what's what's the organized thoughts coming from inside somebody else's head. I just, I, I think reading is, is, is proven to be a, uh, in, incredible formative activity. Oh, it's so, huge. It's huge. Uh, so I'm gonna ask you two questions about books. Cause I absolutely love books and reading. What's your number one favorite book that's been transformative. And then what book are you wanting your kids to read before they're 18? That's such a great question, and and I always struggle with this question because I've got literally hundreds of them, and then I right. I think what whatever. So, um, you know the um, the the Robert Kiyosaki books, uh, mm. uh, you know the um, the ones uh, around um, uh, financial management and wealth. What's his? What is that? I, I've got it. I literally saw it this morning. I can't think of the title of it. You know, not I'm the too, rich dad, poor dad. Rich dad, poor dad. Exactly. That's okay. a gr- that's a great book. Uh, the Servant by James C. Hunter is a great book on servant leadership. Hmm. Um, Think and Grow Rich is is a great book. Um, yep. The Bible is a great book for those who want to read that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I, I think it's it's there's a there's a quantity there of of just you know i mean there's just so much there's so much uh, out there and and it's so accessible these days with i mean books are cheap and you have audible too so there's no excuse i mean not and not to say it and like you said earlier you know nothing happens till you show up and you get to decide what you show up to you know so the whole oh i'm not a reader no you, you can be whatever you need to be uh for your family so is there a book in particular that you're like all right kids you're all gonna read think and grow rich before you move out of this house. Um, Not that it sounds like you're that kind of dictator, but um, that you're inspiring them to check out a certain book before they are a certain age or something. It's age specific, but I, the uh, on purpose person by Kevin McCarthy is an incredible Mm. book for those who haven't, haven't read it. It's really about how to, how to create a two word purpose for your life. I think those can change over time as you go through phases, but for me, you know, I exist to serve by encouraging entrepreneurs, and that's cool. that's a nice little purpose statement. Or it can be, yeah, uh, connecting dots or transforming leaders or helping other whatever it, whatever it is. So you you come up with a a purpose statement for your life. I like it. Yeah. yeah. So the on purpose person is great by Kevin McCarthy, 
And then, uh, you know, I like, uh, I'm a Tony Robbins fan. So he has a, a lot of anything by him. Uh, there's, I've got actually in the back of my book, Discernment, I would recommend people actually read my book, Discernment, but I have yeah. my, I have a reading list of about 30 books. Oh, cool. Right in the back so then, of Discernment. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. So this book just came out and just tell me, tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's crushing, which I'm totally shocked. So I'm really happy with that. I, you know, I, I wrote another book before on coaching and literally there's dozens of copies in print, dozens. Um, so it didn't do, it didn't take off, but this one, uh, discernment is really about decision. I love the name, by the way. It, I love it, the name. Thank you. It is, it's really about, uh, and it's the full title is the business athletes regimen for a great life through better decisions. Mm. So you take the business athlete part, you know, we grow up where a lot of people did a sport and they trained and then you get up. Yep. And, and so if, if it's true that the, that the, our success in business and the quality of our life is based on the quality of decisions that we make, how do we train ourselves? What are the models of thought that we need to accumulate? How do we think about, about the things that happen to us so that we can make better decisions over time in the moment? There are no absolutes in life. Nothing, nothing is 100%. There's been huge companies today that one thing happened and they're out of business tomorrow. Anything can go to zero. In you can, I could die right now. I could die before the end of this right. podcast. So there's no absolutes in life. So everything's about probabilities. So if your decision-making is about probabilities, how do you increase your batting average in your decision-making over time? So- there's a lot in there about, about your values and about how you intentionally go out and you accumulate the skills that make up decision-making. And that's what the book's about. Man, that's so cool. So, you know, I, th what do you think about dads also reading that book, right? I mean, say I don't own a business. I mean, teaching me to make decisions. I mean, I, I'm going to say it, that's huge, right? Especially in our current culture. You know, I actually just made a huge decision, uh, three weeks ago about my kids schooling where I called a mentor, you know, because for so much of my kids life, I really put it on my wife to make that decision. And, and it was a struggle. It was a struggle to make this big decision. And she really left it up to me. And so I think that in our culture, there's so many men who I, I almost like put the burden to make too many decisions on their spouse. And I'm not saying run her over and do whatever you want. No, that's not what I mean at all. But don't just always put it on her. I think sometimes we've defaulted too much to that. And I think that's detrimental to the marriage too. So what, what's your thought on that? So what percent sure were you when you made this decision? Uh, based on the information I had, I knew I was making the best decision, but there was a moment where I just wanted to flip a coin. I'm like, Hey, if the disciples got the, the, the newest 12th disciple by drawing straws, then I think I could flip a coin for this decision. But my wife thought that was a stu stupid <laughs> idea and kind of passing the buck. So she wanted, you know, so I made the decision. So how sure was I, uh, I know that I made the best decision with the information I had. 70% usually gets people to move, you know, very few people get to a hundred on something like that. That's, mm. that's so important. And, and, uh, so I have a, I have a question for you. You have five children. So I, the birth order, what I, I have three. So the birth mm -hmm. order thing is absolutely true. The first one's a rule oh, follower, sure. right? The, 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 the middle child is, 
you know, is, is, is a middle child. I was a middle child, right? So I need a, a whole different thing. And then the last one is trying to find a path that nobody has taken yet. So they, they tend to take a different path. What happens with four and five? Like I, what did the birth order book, does that extend past three? I mean, what are four well, and five just it, wild cards <laughs> or do you start over? <laughs> what happens? Yeah. Does it start off? No, it's kind of funky. So we have, we had a, uh, three-year-old and a one-year-old. Oh shoot. No, Violet was four months old. So we had a two-year-old and a four-month-old. And then we found out, oh, babe, I'm pregnant. Oh, and it's twins. So I was like, oh, man. Okay. So we had three or we had four under the age of uh, four, four under four. And so the first one, rule follower, 100%. The second one, she had two babies show up when she was one. So she's like all ready to live on her own, feed herself, take care of herself. She doesn't ever want to have kids. <laughs> the twins are a boy and a girl. So I have four girls and one boy and he's one of the twins. So he's, you know, he's just, he's annoying everybody, but uh, being a full-time boy. Uh, and then I almost just want to have another one because my fifth one, Stella, who's seven is just st- you know, she's the baby of the family. And I feel like if I had another, it would force her to grow up, but then I'd be dealing with the same thing with the next one. So probably should be screwing myself in that scenario. But uh, yeah, the birth order thing's true and so interesting how they, how they act based on where they fall. Absolutely. We, so John Roseman is a, is a author on parenting and Mm. I, we, and I don't know that it was that intentional, but you know, we, there, there was, he recommended like two year, two and a half year. Well, he didn't recommend, but he said, you know, after two and a half years, they become kind of self-actualized and there's less sibling rivalry between them and they'll be more helpful with the other one. So we, we, you know, for what? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think we didn't do it intentionally, but they ended up about three years apart each and they're look good little helpers at four. I mean, they feed the other one and they, yeah. I mean, they're good, they're good little helpers. So we, we did it that way and, and it worked out. However, better planners than us. Yeah. Well, no, then, but think <laughs> about it. We Kids in diapers forever though. I mean, that's, it's, I see these people that have two and they're done and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's double the work, but you're done. I mean, right. it, you, you get a you get four a, years and you're out. Oh, you're out. You're you're good to go. Yeah. They're, they're walking out to the car. They're grabbing their own stuff. Yeah, that's good. All right, I'm gonna ask you my next question. So the podcast is Fatherhood Field Notes, is which what we're doing, right? We're opening up our field notes. We're sharing our wisdom with with the dudes listening. Um, but the theme is rebel and create. And in th- really, this could be applied to something very small, like I'm rebelling against being on my cell phone on Sundays so that I can just have a very focused day, um, you know, create a, f- a family day, or I'm rebelling against, you know, the status quo of masculinity so that I can create whatever. So in your world, what's something that you're rebelling against? And then what do you hope to create out of that? I am rebelling against the impact of social media on our attention and our, mm. and our time. And I, I'm not so sure that I'm any better off than my kids because it's such a trap. Mm-hmm. And I've being in business, you want to pay attention to social media, right? And you, you want to, 
you want to be active. It's it's very hard for other people to do that on your behalf without you participating. And yeah, it's it's, 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 it's yeah. very personal. It's mm-hmm. it's very personal. It's do you do you post pictures of your kids? Do you not? Do you know who who are you online and and social media? Right. And then and then with the digital natives who grew up with these phones, and it's it's part of who they are. It's so in, right. it's so ingrained into them, and very few kids have the discipline to walk away to put it down to keep it in the right frame of mind inside of who they are in terms of their confidence and their self-esteem. And, mm-hmm. and it's a struggle. I, I think it's one of the biggest. And so it, what's, go yeah. Ahead. So, so what's a, what's a practical way that you're rebelling against it for you personally? And then I'm going to ask a tougher question. So your mind can start working on it. What's a practical way that you talk to your 16 year old about it? Well, so I uninstalled, I, I, create i got a bad tiktok habit so i uninstalled (laughs) okay i had to i i had to uninstall tiktok and it was and it's you know it's going to be the next big platform and it's growing and okay how how do how do my various businesses need to occur on this platform and the next thing you know you know, it's three hours of watching people jerk bass out of ponds, man, and <laughs> crushing yeah. Yeah. fishing, you know, because whatever you look at, like, that's what they serve you more of. Uh-huh. And, yeah, they'll and, feed as much of whatever you want to you. Oh, that algorithm is is spot on. And so I had to, I had to really take an assertive thing. And actually, what's interesting is my older two provide leadership in terms of, look, you got you to gotta put that stuff down. Mm. And because their whole generation is inside of those, inside of those platforms and they could, they could literally spend all day. And, uh, so, so that, yeah, that's, that's good. So it's like, you've set this standard and you're still learning. And it sounds like as you're still learning what works and doesn't, you're also communicating that with your children. So it's one of those things that we're kind of navigating together with our families. Oh, absolutely. They know more about it than we do. Uh, yeah, I mean, them. my daughter helps me, helps me with my, my older daughter helps me with my stuff. So, uh, I, she's my go-to if I've got questions. Totally. So <clears throat> when you're rebelling against this, I mean, I, in some aspects, it's kind of obvious, but like, wh- why, why not just keep doing the TikTok and watching the bass get pulled out of the, 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 the lake, you know, what is it that you want to create either in that time or that space or in your mind? And that's why you're rebelling against it. It's impacted my reading. It's, 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 okay. Yes. So I love to, when, when you're, when you're building a life or you're building a business or you're building a family, the music is made between the notes. And what I mean by that is there's all of these things that you have to do. You're driving people to school. You're, you're doing whatever it is that you, you have your have tos to make your life function. But then you end up with those lulls like we had right before, you know, we, we didn't get on right away. So I, I had 15 or 20 minutes. So what do I do in that 15 or 20 minutes? When you're building a business, you might have a slowdown or you might have some seasonality to your business. So I, I attribute a lot of my success to the fact that I always had so much stuff stacked up that needed to be done that immediately when we get a lull, we could go to the team and say, okay, team. 
we're going to take a little bit of a departure for the next three days and we're going to work on this. And this is something mm-hmm. that we need to do to push our business forward. It, it's the same thing. Why, why would I prepare uh, outlines or uh, uh, an exercise for the family? Well, because we're all going to be together on an airplane or we're all going to be together on a cruise and we're going to have some time. So do we just sit there and do nothing with it or do we, do we make some music between the notes? And, and I, and I think what's good, what social media does is it steals the time that we used to have when we were growing up, that was unstructured time, you know, a long bike ride. Well, what do you right. think? Like you would think about things on a long bike ride home, 20 minutes or wherever you're going to or coming from. You would a long walk home from a friend's house when we used to be able to walk miles to and from school. Well, you wouldn't have your phone. You'd be thinking. And yep. and so whether it's reading or whether it's thinking, uh, social media has stolen from us the time in between the time. I think it's super important to to recognize that that time matters, right? So like when my son were driving, Hey dad, can I play the BMX game on your phone? And, and part of me goes, why do, why say no? Right? Like just let him like, what does it matter? So we just pass our phone. But lately and more, more often I'm like, no, just look out the window. Like I looked out the window until I was 18 years old, you know, driving in cars. I got my first cell phone at 18 and then my cell phones didn't even do anything cool until I was probably 30 years old. But no, just look out the window and just looking out the window and having that time is good because like you're saying, you're forced to think about whatever versus something telling you what to think about. It's you're, you're, you're doing mental gymnastics. You're improving your mental acuity. You're, you're daydreaming. You're working yourself. You're not letting somebody else drive your, your, your brain activity. And yeah, I grew Well, I, my view out the window, we, I looked out the back in our family truckster. So as we were going down the road and I, it, what's amazing to me is we'll be on a vacation. Maybe we're driving through Colorado and people are on their phones. Why would, yeah. what, what, what does that make any sense whatsoever? And you're driving through a beautiful place missing. Yeah. What, missing it. Yeah. You could be, you might as well be sitting in your bedroom at home. Well, which is what we're moving towards, right? Just why would I go to Yellowstone when I could just do a virtual reality in my my house and watch it? I mean, that's that's what we're moving well, towards, which is sad because you're missing out. We we, we t- uh, not to uh, d- uh, offend the Park Service in any way whatsoever, but I have to tell you, we went to Yellowstone uh, during the winter, and we did a it it was like an eight hour snowmobile drive to get to Old Faithful and to walk up there. And to see, have you seen that geyser? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We took the family there, right. not on snowmobiles. Okay. Though. Uh, we invested an entire freezing day bumping along the road on these snowmobiles to get there. And that was the most unimpressive thing I've ever seen in my life. The whole way I'm like, this is going to be great. And we, it was it's like, this is, I'm like, that's it. <laughs> I get, I get, it's on time. I mean, I get it. I get it. And this dude was behind us and he's like, well, because it went at two minutes and 40 seconds, the next time it's two minutes, three minutes and whatever. And I'm, I'm like, that's fascinating. But man, I don't know. You're like, I'm freezing. Yeah. Get me out of ma- here. You know, okay. probably it was a, like, it was a gray day and it was overcast. So maybe if the skies were blue, 
there would have been a little bit more contrast, but you know, no, everybody go. Okay. So let me ask you this then. <laughs> yeah. So, so Yellowstone, I dug it. I had actually broke my leg, like, gosh, a month or two before. So my family was kind of stoked actually, cause I was on crutches. So yeah. dad wasn't forcing us to do any long hikes. It was just more mellow, but let me ask this. Okay. So we went to Yellowstone first and then when we're coming around the corner into the Grand Tetons, yes, I was more impressed by that. When we drove around that turn and looked up at the Grand Tetons, my wife and I are like, Oh, that is pretty epic. It was amazing. We loved it. The animals, the wild. It was a great trip. I'm just saying. Yeah. The 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 geyser itself. The geyser, meh. Bail, meh. <laughs> 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 oh, that's so funny. So if you go go in summer, uh, yes. just plan a half an hour to yeah, see exactly. it. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so if I remember correctly, when you were. I kind of want to shift into ask you something. So before you started your franchise, you had a restoration painting company and you were doing some work um, due to hurricanes, doing a lot of work uh, to really support families who had been hurt. And, and was there this moment that you're driving home and you weren't at some kids stuff and that's when you shifted your mind from running your business the way you had to shifting so that you could be more present with your family? Yes. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast and uh, impacted New Orleans and uh, the, the entire region. And I had bought my last partner out in 2004 and had brought in some consultants and had really learned about uh, purpose, vision, mission, values, and written a mission statement and a, a kind of a strategy roadmap and uh, had really found what I thought was going to be the path to, to build the business. And we were doing very well as a company. We'd responded to every disaster since 1994, really, that had hit the United States. 92 and Andrew, when I got my cut my teeth in it originally. And so Katrina hit and we were ready. We had built a fleet of campers and trucks with diesel tanks in the back and, and hundreds or That's incredible. thousands of pieces of drying equipment and a great technical people. We were just, we were like uh, opportunity, preparation met opportunity. We were, we were good to go. So we go down there and we immediately win some projects. It's going to be a long-term setup. We rent a 12,000 square foot warehouse across Lake Pontchartrain. There's a 26 mile bridge down there. So we, we, we pulled all of our campers inside of it. We built bunks for, for labor. I mean, we just mobilized the have to. It's almost, yeah. it's almost like an army mobilization. When you go into a disaster area, you assume that there's nothing and you have to be self-contained. And then you, you kind of venture out and start helping people and businesses and whatever. So we, we had rented an RV and we were maybe three months into the deal. And I was, I had been down there pretty consistently. So I'm driving home and I'm in this RV. And I remember I was going through Atlanta, uh, coming, coming around and going around Atlanta. And I'm thinking, and I'm missing uh, Zach's first football season. He was seven years old. Mm. He, was, he was 98, baby. He was 2005. He was seven years old. And we had signed him up for, for football. And, and I was a football player and, and I wanted to be there and I was missing it. And I was driving home. I was going to be driving all night to get to, to get to a, a scrimmage or something or a game that Saturday. I don't recall what it was. And I just said, and it was at that point I said, I, I, I've, we've, we've now got a business 
that's doing tens of millions of dollars a year. And when I looked at the other business owners that were doing what I did, they had their own little planes and they were, they would fly to job sites and to this and to that. And, and, or if they flew commercially, they would, they would be gone on the road, wherever the job was. And whenever the situation wasn't going well, they would be there. And I thought to myself, I'm like, that's not the life that I want. I just, I can't tolerate that. That's, I, I'm not willing to be an absentee uh, and not know my kids growing up and not be home for dinner. And we had been, I had started the company really with the partners aspirationally to franchise it. But when you have partners, it's a consensus and it's expensive and it's risky. And to, to do the franchise, I suspected at the time and it proved out that I was going to have to throw this entire business away it was making a lot of money and that we, but we, you can't compete with your franchise owners. So I would have to use it to stand up the franchises, but I would ultimately have to give them all the work. And ultimately that business would, would dwindle away. So I spent my early career building this business that I was going to be trading for the chance of success on something else. But it was a decision. It was, it was, but to me, it was being gone all the time. Wasn't something that I would tolerate. It wasn't the life that I wanted. It wasn't the deal that I made with my wife. So it was an easy decision. Well, an easy decision, but let's just paint that picture real quick, right? You have a company that's doing multi-million dollars. You're doing well. And, and when you're showing up, you're heroes, right? You're showing up to these disaster areas. So the feeling of, man, I'm making a difference. And the feeling of this is more important than a football game, right? Some of those things could clearly like my family should understand, right? These people all lost their homes, right? They're there, you know? And so we do this comparison thing, but to stop and go, that's not the life that I want, right? That that's one, you were wanting to honor your wife, right? You even, that's not the deal I made with my wife. How many guys throw that out the window, you know, whenever, but the point I want to say is no matter what you're doing, what your job is, how much money you're making, pause and say, is this the life that I want? And then know that you can take the action to design the life that you want. Right. And, and to say, man, and, and how cool that when your kid's seven, that dawned on you as important versus him, you know, moving out at 18, 19 and you then realizing it, which seems to happen sometimes, you know, if nobody points it out to us. So if there's dudes who are finding the majority of their identity in what they do and they're missing out. Like, what would you say to them to help them see that those things that they want, they can really, it's more valuable at home. Everybody has to decide what's right for them, but you can look on the internet and find these examples of the interviews of people on their deathbeds and them saying, you know, they never say, man, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I had an extra half a million bucks in the bank. None of that matters. It's to, at that point in time. Right. And it, it, you know, these things matter in the moment. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a negotiation you got to have with saying, okay, what, what kind of an example am I setting? How am I providing? But if you ask your kids what they really needed, it's time and love. That's really what they, what they want from you. 
And, and then it comes down to, it just comes, everybody's got a personal choice they have to make. What kind of relationship do you want to have with your kids? And, but I think everybody would say, I want to have a great relationship, but then, but then they're not putting the work in to do it possibly. True. Or they're, the justification is that would the kids rather have the house on the lake and the boat and have me be there sometimes, or would they rather have me there more? And maybe I have to sacrifice a little bit, but I also believe that, that these trade-offs don't always have to be the case because there's always a way to find out there. Like you think that's the trade-off, but maybe it's not. Maybe you just haven't figured out the way to accomplish everything that you want to accomplish. You said that uh, something about you can change your life, but I, I think you can make a different decision today and change your life tomorrow. You know, we tend to think that's another book, Principles by Ray Dalio is something I think people mm-hmm. should read. It's a good one. Yeah. I bought that for every every one of my kids and their significant others uh, a couple of Christmases ago. But nice. the, um, uh, you know, you, you, people tend to think that that our future is going to be some small variation on the past, but it doesn't have to be. It can be drastically or radically different. And all you have to do is decide and commit that that's the way it's going to be. Now, there might be some pain. You might have to, there might be some bumpy rocks that you're going to get dragged over for a little bit because you were, you're, you're, there's always a price to change. There's a switching cost in everything you do in in life or whatever. But ultimately, you can just decide. And very few things are fatal, by the way. I mean, if you think about it, like, like, okay, is this, is this going to be uncomfortable? Is my ego going to take a hit? Or am I willing to commit to this new path because it incorporates all of the things that I value and it gives me just the opportunity to, to live a, to live uh, my best life, to give me the things that I want the most. Uh, but am I willing to commit to it? And am I willing to, is, is, am I sure that this is what I want to do? But then, you know, I, I think a, a great book would be too stupid to fail. At the end of the day, you just choose. I mean, I just, I mean, I just made a, yeah. I just made a choice, and it probably, if you, if you, if you laid the tape out, it maybe it wasn't the smartest one. I could have lost everything, but you didn't. No, no, but it took longer than I thought. <laughs> okay, so that's a great point, though. Is you know, I think that it's okay to have short seasons where maybe you are working a little bit more, but if you're willing to push out your your plan, you know, instead of it being a year, why not get it done in two years and then be at all the games? Right. You know, right. Like, why does it, why does I'm, cause I get stuck on this. Like I've got my annual goals, you know, I got my 90 day goals and sometimes I go, okay, I have my 90 day goals, but I'm not willing to work past five anymore. I'm not willing to say yes to a Wednesday night, family night to, to not be there for that. You know? Um, so I think it's possible. Or like you said, you know, like I wanted to write a book, and I didn't want to steal my family time. So I wrote from 4 a.m. until 6 a.m. Right. And till it was done, you know. And so that did require me to watch a couple less shows in bed before I fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Right. It required me to make some changes that impacted my discipline, not necessarily my time with my family, you know, which is ex- exactly what you're saying. Um, man, oh, Jeff, so good. I really love that story of you making that enormous decision with all that you had going on. I think it's super inspiring for dads to go, yeah, I'm going to design the family life that I want. So 
Um, I'm before I ask my last question, is there anything that I missed anything that you would really love to touch on when you think about fatherhood before I ask my final legacy question? No, I, I would having a set of family values has been, and that's been part of the feedback from the book. I've had people reach out to me and, and not necessarily people that are in my circle and say, I, I, I got the book. And I was having this problem with my 16-year-olds, and we've mm. been conflicting over this, and I'm a single parent, and and it just dawned on me that we didn't have the things that we agreed together were important. So we sat down, and we made a list of all the things that we think mattered, and we came up with a value code. And I don't know if it's right or if it's wrong, but I can tell you that it helped the situation That's cool. immediately. So that would be that would be my nugget. And then when I think about the hard work, like I'm working really hard right now, but I've got two kids out of the house. I have a a high schooler and I this is one of the first seasons of my life where I've been able to really you know, there's not the demands aren't there on my time. Mm. You know, it's so as you're as you're having kids and your your oldest is 14. Yeah. Okay, so when you're having kids, each additional child creates an additional set of chaos, <laughs> right? <laughs> to say it lightly. And then what happens <laughs> is the it's at the end of it, at the other side of it, it's like the paratroopers flying out of the back of the plane. It's that the, the, they, they, the first one, the, the day my son turned 16 and got his driver's license, they were all going to the same school. He started driving them because of course he was my firstborn. So he's a rule follower. So I knew that he wasn't yep. going to speed. He'd be all He'd right. He'd be fine. And, and that day we didn't have to drive our kids to school anymore, which gave us how much time we just stood at the window and watched them watch eight hours a week. Yeah. So, and then they start going away to school or they, they leave the house and the next one's driving. And as fast as it ramped up, it ramps down. It's crazy. And it's coming for you. And you, you'll be shocked at how fast it, it starts to, it it goes away and it's it's uns- I'm probably just going to keep having kids cuz I, I I just it's unsettling it just makes me too sad yeah. but i <laughs> but i tell you that you know the one of the values our last value on the bottom of the pyramid is always do more than is expected and we get that oof that's so know, good i tell you and it's not on our value but i here's another one that i've said a 100 times and this is my biggest pet peeve don't watch other people work Ooh, yeah. You know, don't go anywhere empty handed. I mean, if you don't have people doing things and you stand, I can't tell you how many times I've been around other adults and they've got their kids around and all of a sudden we're doing something to move us and the kids are watching us. It's like, okay, so my, my kids will not watch you work. They will like try to help and lend a hand. But yeah, I mean, so setting an example of if it's a season of life where they need me a little bit less, well, they need, then I need, they need to see me getting after it. And not yeah. laying down and there's a balance in our life between creation and consumption. And now what you want to create is your choice. What you choose to create, you might create family time, you might create stories, you might create you might create experiences, you might create a book, you might create a podcast, you might create the economic value, but you know there's a to me it's and everybody my I'm a 955 guy. I'm happy when I'm creating. I'm happy when I'm pouring into people. Uh, doing this podcast about fatherhood is so on purpose for me. 
Like it's like mm. a, it's on purpose. So my light switches up. I know that this is where I need to be because I can make an impact and, and share to the new father some of these things that are coming. So like this is so on purpose for me. And, um, uh, you know, consumption. Sure, I like to consume. I like to consume lots of things, you know, whether it's TV, social media, a, a beverage, a great steak, um, a little bit of laziness, some fit, whatever it is. But I, my, I'm more happy creating uh, at a higher percentage. So, so that's that's what I do. And then if that's if that's my ratio of creation versus consumption, then you know I've really got to get after it. And that's kind of the part of the legacy is is to show them, you know, how to, how to work, but also, yeah, all that. but also how to, you, you, but also to be present and, and not, you know, it, and inside of that, I don't ever take myself too seriously about the outcomes because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the it's the des it's about the, the, the journey with the people versus the destiny. There's never, a, there's never an end to it until it's the end. Hmm. Man, that's really good because I feel like I'm just learning that. I'm just realizing that the the outcome, I need to not take it too serious, you know? And I think you learn that after several entrepreneurial failures. Oh, totally. <laughs> uh, yes. You know, so at first, I don't know where I said this, but I said it to my my wife or something, you know, like the entrepreneurial failures at first are like a bad haircut. Like you don't want anybody <laughs> to see it. You don't want anybody to know. Like, please, God, I don't want them to know that this thing I tried didn't work. But then once you start to come into this realization of all that you learn from them, they end up becoming trophies like on your shelf that you go, yep, if I didn't have that happen, I wouldn't know all this over here or that or that. But it's like that that transition of um, bad haircut to trophy. So anyways, so speaking of legacy, my last question for you uh, is 15 years from now, you're standing on the street, peering into the homes of your children and they are having their young ones now, right? What are you going to see? And they might not credit it to you necessarily, right? But because of that constant, consistent words and actions, what do you see in their home? What's the legacy? That is an emotional question. That is, that is a, that is a great question. And I would hope that, you know, they're happy. Hmm. I would hope that they're smiling. I would hope that they, they have a, uh, that they have the right vibe in their tribe hmm. and that I see, you know, I see their kids, you know, sitting there doing homework. I see a nuclear family that's connected. I see them being capable, independent, contributing members of society. I see them, you know, living the values that they determine are right for them. Goes back to your, uh, not what to think, but how to think. Right. And that they're, they're being fulfilled by making progress against whatever it is they choose is imp that's is important in their life. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't. I mean, it's a scoreboard, but if you're if you're if you choose to live a life of service or you choose to live a life whatever it is you choose to do, you're, you know, do it with all your might and just be happy because, you know, we all we all end up, you know, we all end up 
ended <laughs> at the end yeah. of the day. So that's the only for sure. Yeah. So sacrificing, uh, uh, sacrificing happiness uh, for for the wrong things, uh, I think, will be re- regrettable. Hmm. Man, it's so good. It's so good, Jeff. I love the the intentional father, but also the humble human being that you are. the 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 quiet the quiet uh, impact that you are leaving. And you know, as you talk about your kids and you talk about what you're setting up, I mean, thank you. I've been married 16 years. Thank you for being you know hitting that 25 year mark and showing me it's possible. Showing your kids it's possible. I mean, we need that. And, and I think that, like you said, and, you know, just two, two words, you know, but the nuclear family, you know, is just, it feels very attacked. And I think there's so much negativity that we're being pumped, but the reality is there's incredible human beings out there. There's incredible fathers. Like every day you're living as this incredible father to your family and teaching those around you how to do the same. So just keep being yourself, keep inspiring the world, keep quietly and humbly coaching every I know every person that comes across your path you're leaving them uh better than you found them and uh so thank you for sharing your life with us today thank you for sharing your wisdom and uh, for teaching us some stuff about fatherhood appreciate you Ned it has been a joy and a pleasure Oh, was that incredible or what? Jeff is such a rad dude. I so appreciated the time talking fatherhood. You know, I really love talking to dads who are ahead of me, who their kids are a little bit older. They've lived through some of the seasons that I'm in. There's just so much that can be gained from those conversations. So I really hope you enjoyed that. Jeff was just such a humble, quiet, intentional dude. Really, really enjoyed that conversation. Um, Hey, every Monday I put out the Fatherhood Field Notes podcast interviewing great dads like Jeff. If you're interested in a shorter podcast, I put one out every Friday. You can find it in the same spot. It's just called Craft of Fatherhood, and it's only about 10 to 15 minutes discussing a question one of you sends to me, a thought, an idea, something like that. Hey, if you can, please take a moment and write a review on iTunes. I'm trying to get to 100 reviews. That would be incredible. It just helps spread the word that fatherhood matters when others are looking for parenting and fatherhood types of conversations. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. Talk to you next time. Oh, 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 oh,